turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to the letter to the Galatians, uh, what we call the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Uh, if you're not real familiar with your Bible, it's, it's almost towards the back, like seven-eighths of the way through. If you go past the Gospels and past Romans and First and Second Corinthians, uh, you'll get to this short letter of Galatians. Um, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and uh, this message is called In the Fullness of Time, and the series that we've been doing is on the incarnation or the, the Word becoming flesh, the Word was made flesh, God coming as a human being uh, to become like us, to, to do stuff for us, to save us. And so this is a passage that that uh, talks again about the meaning of the incarnation, like why did Jesus come, how did he come, why did he come, what, what were the benefits and consequences of that for us personally? So let me read this passage, um, verses 4 through 7, and then we'll talk more about this fullness of time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir." Anybody remember Larry King? Anybody know who he is? All the baby boomers in the room are like, yep. Uh, you know, he, he had this TV show. I think it was called Live with Larry King or what was it? Larry King Live. That's what it was. Sorry. Uh, and, you know, older guy at glasses. He was always old. I mean, when I was a kid in the 80s, he was old. And then like in the 90s, he was old. In the 2000s, he was old. Um, he's no longer with us. Uh, great guy, very interesting, uh, one of the best interviewers, and every night he would interview somebody famous, um, somebody important, somebody powerful, uh, you know, and, and he was great at drawing them out um, and talking with them, had a big followership, and one time, though, someone interviewed him, and here's what they asked, and they said, look, Larry, you've interviewed all kinds of people, but if you could interview anybody in all of history, who would it be? And Larry King, who was a Jew... Uh, interestingly said, Jesus Christ. And they said, well, why would you want to interview Larry, uh, Jesus Christ, and what would you ask him? He said, I would want to ask him if he was really virgin born. He said, the answer to that question would define history for me. I would ask him if he was virgin born, because that would define history for me. He was right. If the virgin birth is true, and I would add also the resurrection of Christ from the dead, if that's true, then that changes everything, that defines all of history, and it defines you and me. It not only defines history, it defines you and me, it defines who we are, and it defines our identity. There's a guy named Brian Rosner who studies identity. He's also a New Testament scholar. He's written an awesome book called Known by God about our identity in Christ. And he says that we live in an age of identity angst. And he says this, in our day and age, the question of personal identity is subject to two powerful forces. 
On the one hand, nothing is more important than knowing who you are and acting accordingly. Nothing is more important than knowing who you are and acting accordingly. But then he goes on to say, but the problem is, is that it's harder to know who you are today than at any other point in history. Brian Rosner says this identity angst that we all experience, and maybe you feel it. I, I would guess that at some point you have. But it's so important that we know uh, who we are, but also it's harder today than ever to answer that question. But the point from our passage today that I want to draw out is that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, what it means is that God fulfilled all of his plan for history by sending his son, bearing the gift of a new identity for those who believe in him. What the incarnation means is that God sent his son bearing the gift of a new identity for me and for you and for all who would receive and accept and believe in his son. Let me show you where I see that in this passage. We're going to talk about uh, God sent his son, then we're going to talk about God sent his spirit. That's the meaning of the incarnation. So God sent his son, and, and who is his son, and what did his son do? Because Paul talks about both of those things here. Because who we are, our identity, depends on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. So we'll talk about God sent his son, God sent his spirit, and then finally, the gift of our new identity. So let's look at verses four and five. Paul says, when the time had fully come, Jesus was born uh, based on God's plan for the world, God's redemptive plan to save. And Paul is saying the birth of Jesus was scheduled and Everything in human history leading up to it was not random accidents. It wasn't just repeating of events over and over with nothing directing it. It wasn't just that fate or destiny or some impersonal force was controlling things. God was at work in everything that was happening from the beginning of time till the birth of Jesus, all aimed at one goal, one thing, one event, one person, and that was... God's son, who came into this world and was made flesh for us and for our salvation. It shows that God is in control of history. He's in control of history. He's also in control of your life and my life and all of the details of it. And he's still in control of history. And what is at the center of his plans is for his son to come into the world to save us. Now, it says when he came into the world, he tells us how he came into the world. It says two simple little phrases, uh, born of woman and then born under law. And so here we see who Jesus is, the person of Jesus, his identity. First of all, he was God's son. And if God sent him, that meant he existed before he became a human being. This is his pre-existence, the fact that, that God didn't make God's son at the time that he was conceived in Mary, as some of the early church heretics believed. 
They said that he took a regular human being and then made him into God. Paul is saying God's son existed for all eternity, was equal with God the Father. He wasn't the Father, but he was God. So there's a distinction. They had the same substance, but yet they were different persons. How all that works together, um, you know, call some theologian or something somewhere. All I know is that's what the scriptures teach. It's beyond our minds to comprehend. Um, And I know that it makes sense to God. (laughs) Uh, And so he was always there. In the beginning was the word, John said. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. And then later in verse 14 of the beginning of John's gospel, it says, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. So Jesus is God. Remember, we talked about that last week. There's, there's two things about who he is, his nature. He is fully God. He is God's son who was sent by the Father, but he's also fully human because he was born of woman. Notice it doesn't say and of man. He was sent and he was born of Mary by the Holy Spirit's power with no human father, involved, but he was still fully human. And you see the directions here in Paul's uh, story. It's sent down from the father. He came out from a human mother, and then he went under the law. He not only became human to identify with us, he became human in order to represent us, to stand in our place, and to live a life for us that that could be credited to us, a life with a clean, perfect record of keeping the law, fulfilling all of its requirements, because that is what no one has done ever, (laughs) and that that is really the core of our problem. What the incarnation means is that God's Son was sent for us to represent us, and then we see more about the purpose here in in these first two verses. He was not only born under woman, but he was born under the law. Think about that. God who made human beings, becoming one of them himself, but also the one who gave us the law and is over the law, made himself underneath it for our sakes. And he says the purpose in verse 5 is this. There's a negative and a positive. Jesus became a human and put himself under the law, God's law, the law of God's word, and that includes the Ten Commandments and everything else, all the oughts and shoulds and shouldn'ts and shall nots and musts. He took all those on him for us because we couldn't keep them and we didn't. And he did it for this reason, to redeem those who were under the law and that we might receive adoption to sonship. That word redeem there is, a, is an interesting word to understand. The original word means uh, to go to the marketplace and to purchase something so that you now own it. It is to buy back. And so what Paul is saying here is that all of us without Christ the way that we are naturally born into this world and what our, our lives play out is that because we are under the law and yet we can't keep the law and don't keep the law, we are in a bondage, a slavery, a captivity 
that we need to be purchased out of, that something owns and controls us. Now, we often think that there are people who are religiously affiliated, and there are the nuns, those who have no affiliation, those who believe and those who don't. Or you might choose that religion or this religion, but I'm going to remain neutral. The claims of Jesus, of the New Testament, all of the scriptures are that there is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. You are either in freedom under Christ or you are in slavery on your own. Apart from Christ, you are not free. You are in bondage to yourself and your sin in the demands of God's law and what righteousness is. Or you might be in bondage to uh, substances and addictions and habits or other people's opinions, any number of things. But there's no such thing as someone who's neutral and free by remaining apart from Christ. There are only two categories that all of human beings are put into, out of Christ and in Christ, free or slaves. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came with the gift of freedom. Jesus came with the gift of payment to purchase us out of the marketplace of sin and slavery and bondage to the law that we cannot keep. And he also purchased us from the need and requirement to earn our acceptance with God through keeping the law, by being good, by keeping it all together and getting right and cleaning our act up. That at our worst... (laughs) At that moment, Jesus pays a price to redeem us out of that stuff, to make a change in who we are. And then positively it says, so that we might receive uh, the adoption to sonship. Now, in doing this, he's referring to not our system of of adoption today, of course, because it was written 2,000 years ago. There are similarities Uh, but he's referring to the legal system in the ancient world. And I I don't have time, nor would you want me to go completely into what that was like in the Roman and Greek world of Jesus' time or Paul's time. But basically, uh, understand that the economy in those days was not based all in corporations and private businesses. It was all through households, pretty much. And you had the head of the house, the father, Uh, And then you had underneath him his children uh, who were heirs, and then you had servants and slaves, not exactly like our slavery that we had here in the United States, is similar, but very different. Uh, They were like employees, uh, but with even less freedom and authority. So you get the idea. The the sons uh, or the children of the father in the household They were heirs, and so they had this important status and privilege, but as long as they were young, they had guardians uh, and babysitters over them who watched them, and really they didn't have much more authority or freedom than the other servants and slaves in the household business. And Paul is saying, not just that we were orphans, in a sense we were spiritually, and then we were brought into a home, that is part of what Paul is saying, but He is saying that we are sons and daughters who are able to enjoy the full privileges and rights and blessings of being children of the Father who owns everything, and that we are heirs who will inherit everything that he does own. So what we receive through Jesus, the reason he came into the world was to to 
redeem and purchase us out of this bondage to our own sin and, and our own slavery and from the law and its oppression over us. And then also so that we can move into this relationship with him, a new status uh, of being his children who can call him father, who have a close, secure relationship with God. That is the meaning and the purpose of the incarnation. So God's son, Jesus, is the God-man, perfectly God, perfectly human, and his work, his mission was to come into the world to redeem us and then to adopt us so that we can be fully children of God and all that that entails. And by his death and resurrection, he removes the curse of the law. Because Paul says everybody who is under the law and who's trying to relate to God through law is under a curse because no one can keep it, not because the law is bad. The the law is actually good, okay? I'm not trying to make the law of God out to be bad. It's good. The problem is us right in here, right? We have this sin nature that enable, does not enable us to do what God requires, and our sin separates us from God. But Jesus came into the world to undo that and to change that, to bring us back to God and to, to not just make us his servants, but to elevate us even to the status of being his children. In fact, in John chapter 1, again, um, John says that when Jesus came into the world, he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him or receive him. But then it says, but to those who did receive him, he gave the power or the right or the authority to be called the children of God. He came to make us his children. But then secondly, it says that the father sent his spirit He sent his son, but he also sent his spirit. And we see that in verse uh, 6. It says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, that man, there's been a lot of talk about that word Abba, and it's such a a wonderful word. It's so full of meaning. Um, There's been a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people say that, um, you know, it's, it's like baby talk. You know, dada, you know, goo goo gaga dada. And it's us being little babies and sitting on daddy's lap. And they're, they're, yes, it does have a sense of it's familiar, it's affectionate, uh, it, it's calling dad uh, papa, that kind of idea. But it's not us being infantile. <laughs> um, and it's not us being irreverent. And, and it's not exactly translated as daddy because it's, it's full of respect and honor and awe and affection, but closeness and security. There's no fear in the word. Um, and it's interesting here that after having Jesus having done what was necessary to secure for us the status of children of God... The Father then gives us the Holy Spirit in our experience. So there's an event and a historical fact in which we uh, are redeemed and adopted as God's children. But then there's an experience that each of us have in which those who do receive Jesus 
and believe in him, receive the Holy Spirit, each one of us, and that spirit in us, not just us, it says the spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It, it gives us an assurance that this is what we are, this is who we are, that we are God's children, not servants, not slaves, we are not orphans, we belong, we are accepted, uh, and we have a confidence to address God and to relate to God in the way that Jesus did. The thing that the disciples noticed about Jesus was how he would refer to him as Father. It's interesting here that it's Abba, Father, which we think it's, um, you know, an English word and an ancient biblical word, but really it's an Aramaic or Hebrew word, Abba, and then Father is pater in Greek. So we have an interesting little look at the early church and our church today even, that it was multilingual and multicultural and because of what Jesus did and this gift of a new identity that we have in him, it doesn't matter what culture you come from, what nation you belong to, what skin color you are, what language you speak, because of what Jesus did and what Jesus did alone, you can belong not just with God, but to the family of God. Abba, Pater, Father. Padre, I guess, in Spanish. Is that right? I hope that's correct. Whatever language, God's collecting people from all, every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he's bringing them into the family of God as his children who can know that they have a new identity with him. Romans 8, Paul says a similar thing. In verse 15, he says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You hear the similarities? And by him, that is by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So you see, the spirit's work in our life is to, to testify, and he often does it quietly, but confidently and clearly he'll say, you are God's child. So call him Abba Father. Reach out to him. Pray to him. Praise him. Enjoy your relationship with him. Don't be afraid. Let your insecurities, your fears go. All the wondering about who I am and what am I and do I matter, the Spirit whispers and testifies to us, you are God's child. But it's not just a subjective experience, a feeling. We can also look to the fact that God sent his son at a particular time in history. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, we were redeemed and adopted. And that's who we are. So let me close by talking a little bit about this gift of a new identity, what all of this means. And, and what do we mean by identity? <laughs> in this verse, uh, in this passage, the last verse, in verse 7, Paul says this. This is the conclusion that he draws. So, in other words, therefore, in conclusion, as a result, the consequence is you are no longer a slave. Love how he puts things in the past. No longer slavery, bondage, shame, guilt, alienation, orphan mindset, rejection, no longer. That's not who you are anymore. That's who you were, and you've got to own that. And that's why this gift of a new identity, receive it from Jesus, you have to humble yourself enough to say, you know, apart from you, Jesus, that's, 
that's what I am and who I am. But he says, in Jesus, that's no longer what you are, but you are God's child, and since you are God's child, God has made you also an heir. You see, identity has three parts. I'll give you a little crash course. Think of a triangle. Identity is, first of all, a self-concept. It's what I create, what I think about myself, what I believe and understand about myself. And then from the other side, from other people, it's a social construct. Other people help you understand who you are because in everything we do, what we wear, what we, uh, what we say, what we do, you know, how we introduce ourselves, what we are doing is projecting out there, this is who I am. And people perceive it on the other end, and then they reflect back to you. And people often tell you, and here's where you have to be rehabilitated by understanding who you really are because of Jesus, not what people say you are. Unfortunately, many times people will send hurtful messages or untrue messages back to us about this is what you are, this is who you are, or this is what you will always be. But thankfully, identity is also on the top of the triangle, a theological construct. It's what God says about us because of us being created, us being fallen because of our sin, but also us being redeemed and us ultimately being glorified. And so we have to make sure all three of those are shaped by the gospel, shaped by passages like this, that at the core it is our identity in Christ that, that speaks loudest to who we are. So that when we begin to say, I'm just this, you can say, no, I am a child of God, or I'm only that, or I used to be that. You can say, no, I am a child of God and an heir with Christ, and all that that means. We all have a lot of identities. We wear different hats, so to speak. You know, I am a father, I am a husband, I am a brother, I am a son, I am a son-in-law, I am a pastor. Uh, you know, it, on and on and on, right? And we activate or draw out these different identities based on the moment and what we're doing. But the important thing is that we make like a little pyramid where we put at the top our identity of who we are in Christ, and then everything else goes underneath that, and it's all secondary. That's what we have to do. Tim Keller says this in his book, Making Sense of God. The Christian who makes Christ and his love the core of his or her identity then discovers that we need not completely reject other identity factors. They're no longer the ultimate basis, though, for our significance and security. But that does not mean they're flattened or eliminated. Rather, we're free to enjoy them as God's gifts to us, but we are no longer enslaved to them as our saviors. You see, there's a lot of identity markers, our, our nationality, our family, where we live, what we do, our abilities, um, our hobbies. And today with social media, it's even harder with, with all of the internet and all that we get involved in. We're constantly, we're not just giving updates on what we think or what we are doing. What we're really putting out there is who we are and who we want you to believe we are. We are creating and trying to fashion our own identity that we think will make us significant, happy, and accepted, or maybe even envied. 
had to throw that in there, sorry. Maybe I just struggle with that. But Jesus comes into the world, and he says, I have a gift for you, and it's an identity that you don't have to create or earn, and it fulfills all those desires that you are seeking, if you'll receive it. And then he gives it to us. We live out of our identity. Identity is a story we tell ourselves, and it has a past, and it has a present, and it has a future. And in the present and into the future, we live out that story almost like the leading person of our own lives with the story that we are writing. And sometimes that story <laughs> is really messed up. But when you follow Christ, if you'll, if you'll really believe what Jesus says about us, uh, the story will make sense and it will have uh, purpose and direction and destiny. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying your past, you used to be a slave, <laughs> Your present, though, what you are is a child of God. There's a doctrine, justification by faith, which you've probably heard of, which is just essential to our faith. And it's the idea that we are declared right, not even made righteous, but declared as if we were righteous by God the judge based on the record and the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son. So we are not only forgiven, but we're given a new status legally, it's like a courtroom idea. Beautiful, beautiful truth. This is more of a family or relational approach to that same exact doctrine. It says you were an orphan, but now you are adopted and you are fully a child of God because of what Christ did. And that can't be changed. Your past is you were in slavery your present is, you are a child of God. And then you see the future here where he says, you are an heir. You are an heir now, but there is an inheritance coming. And I wish I had a whole other message to tell you what that inheritance is. I'd spend the whole time bumbling and struggling for the right words and trying to get big enough, amazing, exciting descriptions of what it's going to be. Because all I can tell you right now, what are we going to inherit? Everything. It says we're co-heirs with Christ, and all I can tell you is it's going to be paradise. Uh, it's going to be perfect. There's going to be only joy and love and freedom. There's going to be nothing bad, nothing sad. It's going to last forever. Uh, it, it's going to be really, really, really good. And there are no words to describe it. It's everything you long for sanctified, and then magnified by a billion times a billion. That's your future, not what people tell you you'll never amount to anything, this is what you're going to turn out to be, or what you tell yourself, I'm afraid I can't do this, or it's not, you know, or I need to do something. <laughs> what Paul is saying is, in the coming of Jesus, we've been given a new identity where whether you flunk out of school or never go to school or lose your job or never have a job that's really exciting or makes a lot of money, this is who you are and this is who you are going to be because of what Jesus did. That's the gift of new identity. That's good news, isn't it? And I hope that if you're here today and you maybe have never heard this message or realize that Jesus could offer to you a relationship with God as a free gift, not just 
that you have to work it out or that he gives you a start over or try again. But the, the whole thing from beginning to end is really accomplished by him and given to you and sealed and, and kept so it can't be lost or taken away because he's the one who's at work doing it and his spirit is there to remind us who we are. And so I would say be who you are. Live out your identity as children of God for those of you who know him. I tell my children all the time as they're getting a little bit older that um, the more responsibility you exhibit, the more freedom you'll have. Because, you know, the teenage years, we want all the freedom, none of the responsibility, right? It's I was the same way. My parents are here. They'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, probably. Uh, but here, here's what Paul is saying. He's not saying now you're free to live however you want. He's saying you are free from that slavery of living in sin and living independently from God and living in all those ways that just destroyed your life and made you feel terrible about yourself. And you are free now to live a life of following Jesus and living out his teachings in the power of his spirit who is at work in you. He's calling us to a free and mature life in Christ. Living out our identity as his children until he returns, which he will do just as certainly he, as he did when, when the set time had fully come, when he came the first time, and when he brings in that inheritance that is already yours. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to really know and realize our identity in Christ. We are thank you for sending him into the world to be born under the law and to redeem us from the slavery and bondage of the law and the curse of the law and our own sin and bringing us into this freedom where we live by grace and not by works. Father, I pray that you would help us to also Use the freedom that we have as your children to live as your children, to live in ways that bring us joy, that please you, and that bear witness to the world around us, that there's life and freedom to be found in Jesus. Do it for your name's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name.